Gale's open, they're away in the Golden Slipper, there's a great start, and Mick Mitt Masque on the extreme outside is about the first out, Jack Boyle. Jackler on the outside, lunging, but Catlin opening just in front, Jackler trying desperately, can't reach him. Catlin opening has lasted to win the Doncaster by a hit to Jackler. This Iron podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The $1.3 million Kosciuszko is the world's richest race for country-trained horses and the field is determined by those who draw winning tickets in the Kosciuszko sweepstakes. $5 tickets are now available through the TAB app or your local TAB outlet. 14 winning ticket holders will be drawn on September the 9th. Holders of those winning tickets will have the opportunity to select the horse they'd like to run in their entry and if successful will then negotiate the terms of a prize money split with the owners of that horse. A $5 ticket could make it possible for you or your syndicate of friends to share in the ownership of a runner in a race which in just three runnings has achieved a high profile. Grafton-trained Bell Flyer gave his slot holders a big thrill when he won the first Kosciuszko in 2018. In 2019 it was Handle the Truth and last year It's Me from Scone. It's an exciting opportunity for bush horses to take centre stage on one of the biggest race days in the world. It gives punters and racing fans the opportunity to share in the ownership of a horse running in a $1.3 million race. Remember, the 14 winning slot holders will be drawn on September the 9th. It's hard to believe that just five years ago, Anthony Cavallo was still living in Sydney and riding regular track work at Randwick, but found himself spending more and more time in the Western Districts. It wasn't long before he could see the sense in moving to a country base from where he could cover a wide range of meetings. Anthony, or Choco as he's universally known, now lives in cabin accommodation right on Windermere Dam near Mudgee, within striking distance of many strong racing centres in the Central West. He gets strong support from a host of trainers, including Cody Nesta and Gaynor Williams. He's a very youthful 52, he's strong and fit, and can't remember the last time he had to resort to the sauna. As Cody Nesta said in a recent podcast, you can't buy the experience of a jockey like Cavallo. Anthony Cavallo has been riding for 35 years and is hovering around 1,000 career wins, including a good number that he chalked up in Malaysia, Singapore, Macau and the United Arab Emirates. Right at the moment, he's getting ready to head off to a Mudgy race meeting where he has three rides, but has been kind enough to make the time to join us on the podcast. Anthony, my boy, a delight to catch up on a Sunday morning. Uh, it's a pleasure, John. You just about summed them all up in that um, <laughs> opening verse. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, it's a, yeah, a pleasure, mate. Yeah. I'm actually uh, in Mudgee at the moment. Like, I've got the cabin down there at the Dean, but yeah. I've got a place in Mudgee as well. So mm. just a bit closer to the um, conveniences of the pubs and clubs and shops and things, you know. I understand. But you sneak back to Windermere Dam and throw a line in every now and again. I do as often as I can, mate. Yes. <laughs> Good for the nerves. Oh, now, that's just a good, good relaxation, mate. Now, Anth, you're obviously of Italian ancestry, and how appropriate it is that the very word cavallo is the Italian for horse. Now, 
Your dad, Nicholas, was born here. I think your grandfather migrated many years ago. Yeah, that's right, mate. He did um, many years ago. He uh, migrated to uh, Rockhampton, uh, excuse me, Rockhampton, Biloela area. And yeah. Yeah, he was a cane cutter, as many immigrants were back in the day there. So our dad was born in, with me, auntie and uncle were born in um, Rocky. And yeah. then they, yeah, they horse and carted down to Sydney and worked and worked and bought a parcel of land, Greystains, and where mm. mum and dad still live. That'll be a tough old trip, Rockhampton to Sydney by horse and cart. Oh, you just did it back then, I suppose, mate. It's, um, yeah, they knew no know, better. Well, you know, there was hardly cars there and uh, mm. only the rich had the cars at the time. So, mm. you know, they, yeah, they just done it and done it well. I can understand why you made the decision to head west. Now, you were still living in Sydney at the end of the 2015-16 season but you rode 68 winners in that season, most of them on bush tracks. The travelling must have been getting you down. Oh, mate, it was – yeah, look, it's very tiresome. Look, uh, I, I had to – I stayed a few times overnight at places, motels, you know, like $60 motels at Gilgander and things like that, you know. Mm. You, you know, sometimes it just – the driving gets too much. But, oh, look, it was – Either make the move or just become a track work rider, sort of thing. So, mm. still, I still loved riding, and and this um cabin down by the dam come up and wasn't mm. expensive, eighty thousand or something. It was by the, mm. and I thought, well, if it goes bum up, it's not a train wreck. I said, you know, I no. thought, you know, oh, look, eighty thousand's good, uh, you know, no one to throw it away. But I mean, yeah. I'll give it a go, and I still got it, and then moved into Mudgee, and. Yeah. You know, and and the driving's just cut in half, and the petrol bill cut in half, and mm. you know, it's just and the wear and tear on your on yourself. Like you'd be in the car, I'd be in the car if I was at Canamble to Sydney, six hours to Canamble, oh, yeah. ride all day, then six hours back. So you're actually in the car more than what you're working. Yeah, surely. You know, and and, and many times you try to get back home because there's nothing better than getting back home. You know, it's mm. you know, but but no, it's it the travelling's cut in half and. I feel better for it and, and uh, feel I ride better for it. And you're riding plenty of winners too. Now, before heading west, you were riding work principally for Graham Rogerson and Kevin Moses at Randwick, and there were some race rides, Chock, but nowhere near enough. No, that's right. But um, I enjoyed it there. Like Graham Rogerson, he's a, you know, yeah, he's a different fellow from a lot of trainers and and I enjoyed working for him. And Kevin Moses, you know, you learn a few things. If, if ever you, I took up the training trade, uh, trade, I, you know, you learn a few things off these blokes. And they're, mm. you know, good trainers in their own right. They had a lot of good horses, these fellas. And mm. look, I had, they give me a couple of rides. And um, you know, and I know they've got owners to, you know, you know, to. Um, to please, yeah. And, yeah, they want their own riders or better riders on them, you know. You know, and, and don't get angry with that, and I still don't. Cody mm. still uses other jockeys, and you know, everybody, and and you just got to take what you can and accept it. It's mm. you know, that's the way it is. So no tantrums from Choco. No, definitely not, mate. No, yeah. no, I'm past all that. I'm past all that. You've but, been riding um, a, a healthy number of winners every season since making the move, including 50 in the season just concluded. You're getting terrific support from a wide range of trainers through the Central West. Oh, you try to keep a good rapport with them all. You have a, you know, there's always a bit of banter going on. You've got, um, 
like the Gary Lunds and the Mick Lunds and the, you know, the, there's about 45 of the Lunds out there at Dubbo. You know, there's always a bit of banter going on, especially with mm. Gary. But, you know, but yeah, you just keep a good rapport and, you know, it costs nothing to say hello and goodbye to people and, you know, you just, you know, if their horses, if their horses don't run well, you know, it's the way you tell them that it's, you know, it's not going to be feasible for you mm. rather than saying, mate, it's no bloody good and carrying mm. on like that. So it's just yeah, all about rapport with people and owners and trainers. Up to date, country regions have had the best of it regarding COVID restrictions, but things are a little different just at the moment. Now, prior to this upheaval, you were riding work at Orange once or twice a week. You'd go to Dubbo, uh, principally for Cody, and for Bob Howe at Rylston. And you tell me Bob's got the use of an old abandoned picnic race course, got his own track. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Um, uh, it's registered. It's um, uh, affiliated with Mudgee. And, look, they look after itself, after themselves. You know, you've got mm. Greg Hook out there and, and Bob and, you know, and they they do a great job, you know, the railings around and, you know, it's not overused, not overtaxed. We just get out there when we can and, mm. you know, and they're just champion blokes and we're just working together. If I can be there this afternoon, I can. If not, have to be tomorrow. There's no problem. Mm. You know, it's just a champion fellow, Bob, and his brother Chris out there. They just chugged along and they've probably been doing it for longer than I've been riding. You know? Yeah, so, really. Yeah, it's, it's it's you know it's just a beautiful little town, Ralston, and that little mm. setup there. It's it's great, and they look after it and do a great job with it. Mm. And you don't have to work them in the dark; you can get there at a sane hour. Mate, I get there. At, you know, there's none of this morning stuff. It's it's yeah. uh, four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> like a trotting well, they, trainer. <laughs> see, well, a lot of them are miners and that they go to work themselves, and mm. so we do them of an afternoon, and you know, and you know, you just shit a chatter and go off home and that's it. Like, it's great. It's it's a better way to be, but it, it's a great country lifestyle for that. Mm. You can't do it if you've got 50 horses. That's no. a bit harder, but, but with only two or three horses in work, four horses, it works out great for us. Nicknames originate in many different ways, and traditionally it only takes one person to call another by a comical name often enough for others to pick up on it. Now, during your apprenticeship with Ray Guy at Rose Hill, a workmate started to call you Choco, and you've never been able to shake it. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've I've heard anybody call you Anthony. <laughs> no, that's it, mate. They called me Anthony one day behind the barriers, and no one knew who I was. <laughs> yeah. They all look at you know because when the the starter will call out names for the barrier to come up to your barriers, and one of them said, Anthony. And they're all looking at each other and said, who's Anthony? Yeah. You know, but, um, yeah, look, it, that happened back in the day, Ray Guys, and someone called me Chuck, and I didn't. And, and usually they stick when you chuck a tantrum and don't want it. But I didn't <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, get yeah. um, overawed about it. I thought, oh, well, you know, it doesn't matter. Well, I'm, I'm certainly not white That's No, you know, no. I've got, I've got the dark complexion about me, so I said, well, yeah. Chuck, oh, it is. Yeah, and you've never been offended by it, have you? Never, mate. Never, mate. Never. Mm. Oh, look, sometimes somebody, if they say it with a bit of poison in their tongue, I get a bit of put, a, put offside, but, you know, yeah. generally not. No, no. Yeah, a bit of poison, you'd give them a dirty look. That's it, mate. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> now, it all started in the mid-1980s when your father, Nicholas, took you to meet the late Ray Guy in his office at Rose Hill. I can see him sitting in there now. 
Did he need another apprentice at the time, Chuck? Because he was rarely short of an apprentice or two. Oh, that's right, mate. He probably had four on the go all the time at that time. There was Rito Cadalbert, Neville Short and David Smith. Mm. There was a few of them there. Um, but I, uh, well, when I kicked off, I was just going weekends. I went and, Well, I went and met Ray Guy in his office and that, and yeah. he looked me up and down and said, you'll get too big, look at the size of your feet and this and that, but I'll give you a go. And I went, <laughs> well, I was dumb as dog poo at school, mate. I think the teachers asked me to go. So I thought, I'll give this yeah. stable thing a go. And, yeah, it worked out. Dad had a couple of shares in Horses Peace Officer, Tom Bamboo. They were trained by Ray Guy. And mm. and we'd go to the races, sort of got a liking to it. And I thought, I was small. And, mm. like I said, I was no good at school, you know, cost of my parents a lot of money at a mm. Catholic private school to learn Goodness that me. I was, wasn't yeah. the full – learn that I wasn't real intelligent. So, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but look, you know, we just, we just went on from there. And, yeah, I met Mr Guy and – he took me on and I, he's the only boss I ever had for six years. Yes, I was going to say, you spent your entire apprenticeship with him and you'd have to say he's one trainer who gave his boys a chance. If a kid could sit on it all, he'd throw them on in races. Mate, he loved it. You know, and he had a lot of welter horses, which, mm. um, you know, he put the kids on mostly all the time because they always got top weight or whatever. But, no, he, he, he gave you a good go and, you know, if you weren't making it with him, you'd, you've never got rides anywhere else. Mm. But, you know, he was a hard taskmaster, Ray, but um, but, but fair, but fair, but, geez, he's mm. hard to work for, I tell you. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very strict, <laughs> he, very strict. Yeah, he was. He was He was old-fashioned. He set uh, a set of standards and he stuck with them. You yeah, had to toe right. the line, yeah. That's now, right, that's right. And, 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 you know, and I did. I didn't have a day off until my last day of work. I thought, I've got to get this bloke somehow. Mm. And I didn't turn up Sunday morning. It was my last day of my apprenticeship. <laughs> then I turned up that afternoon. He said, I was worried about you. It made me feel bad. Yeah, you'd been so reliable for so long. Yeah, look, um, but no, it was great. You know, I started there as a, as I think I was under four, under 15 still, you know. I was, mm. yeah, just, and, you know, but I give a lot of me credit to. Like I stumbled into this, this stable at Rose Hill, 16 Oak Street, mm. and we just, um, you, and you put into a room, with blokes you don't know and, mm. and some of them are doing things you've never seen in your life, like within smoking something or whatever, and it's, mm. you know, you can either go one way or the other. And I give a lot of my credit to a trainer out of Dubbo. His name's Michael Lunn. Mm. He took me under me under his wing mm. and he just, um, yeah, just said, keep away from this, you do this. He showed me how to do boxes, you know, mm. showed me where to go, this and that, like, and it, and it just takes that. You know, I could have went one way or the other, mm. you know, with a bit of skullduggery back in the day that goes on in the stables. Yeah, but what stage but, of your career was that, the connection with Michael Lunn? Oh, that was me when I was just joined the stable, just when at 14, 14 and a half, whenever I was. Yeah, with well, the Ray Guy stable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah, Michael just, was working there, was he? Oh, yeah, sorry. He was oh, working I see, there. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he was track rider there and looked after, you know, he's a good strapper and what have mm. you and. But um, the only bad thing he taught me is how to have a bet, and um, <laughs> he seemed to back more winners than me. Let me tell you, but yeah, yeah. you know, my five dollars didn't get far when mm. you start on fifty-seven dollars a week. My word! Now, mate, here is a date you should write down: September the eleventh, nineteen eighty-six. Now, that was the day you announced your arrival as a professional jockey. It was a Gosford meeting. 
and you rode a lovely, honest mare called Vainglorious who gave you that very first winner. You'd That's be the one, Vainglorious. Amazing right. thrill for a kid. It sure was. She was a beautiful mare too. I think she was my first city winner too. She Pretty was. Sure she was, yeah. Um, yeah, beautiful mare, good owners um, of, of the bosses, Ray Guy, and yeah, mm. she, you know, yeah, she she got me going. She was an easy ride, let me tell you. Well, she you won three on her altogether, uh, yep. but she was special in as much as she gave you your first win and your first city win, which was in a Canterbury welter a few months later. You know, Ray Guy never had the good fortune to train a Group 1 horse, but he won a lot of races with second-tier horses. I'll tell you what he could do, Chock. Ray Guy could keep them up for long periods and keep them performing consistently. Now, Vain Glorious was a perfect example. That mare had 46 starts, eight wins and 18 placings. And he did that time and time again, especially with mares. Yeah, look, he yeah, he, yeah, he really looked after him. Like we used to swim him a lot, you know. There was no walking machines or treadmills or anything back then, and but uh, we used to swim him a lot. And, in um, the river, in the Parramatta yeah, River, down the Parramatta River. Yeah, yeah, mm. you know, the odd time there we couldn't get in there because someone dumped a car in there. But <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it was just a, he just had that knack, and you know. And, and I don't think he was that easy on him. Like he 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 trained him hard, and I think he toughened him up a lot too. You know, it's mm. you know he he's just yeah he had a knack for it. You know, and he but he never ever back in that day oh, as well. There was you didn't have your um, colts, and he just with his colts and that they came in, he'd geld them straight away. Oh, I can't even remember for all the years there, mm. him training a horse that still um, was a was a colt horse. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. No. I, you know, everyone just cut them back then. It was just a now you now they have twenty starts before they cut them to see if they can be a stallion or not. But yeah, but no, he just um, yeah, he was a good trainer, boss. He Bob, mm. uh, boss. He was a really um, you know hard taskmaster and hard mm. on his horses a bit too at times. But mm. no, they, they stood up. But he never trained a Group One winner. You're right, never. No, Silver Award was probably the closest he came. Silver Award won that race called the Dalgetty uh, at that time. He was a lovely, consistent horse too, Silver Award. That, that might have been a group two uh, at that point in time. Closest he went. Doesn't seem right, does it? No, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he was a good horse. I think Silver won about nine in a row there at one stage. Bruce yeah. Compton used to ride him. Yeah. Yeah, great That was boss's horse. first runner for the Melbourne Cup and at, um, in the Melbourne Cup and I mm. think his only runner. Yeah, run midfield, I think. Mm. Ray had a lot of loyal owners too that kept the stable full at all times and they were there for years. There were 52 boxes in the place, you reminded me the other day, and you can't remember seeing an empty one. That's right. He had good owners. We had Curly and Lyle. Uh, Jim Forsyth. Jim Forsyth was, gee, I think, yeah, Jim's still got, oh, I'm not sure, but. Brian's still running horses for some of his father's connections up the Gold Coast. Correct, so, yeah. But, um, yeah, he had great owners. And, that, yeah, like you say, they really stuck with him, and, you know, and, and he had a good rapport with them and, you know, and, and yeah, he 52 horses we had him work, you know, all the time except a couple of times he had his bantams in a couple of boxes. He loved his show bantams. Yeah. 
and these bloody things would crow at two o'clock in the morning. And you know, <laughs> Jesus, he was very proud of them, wasn't he? he uh, I was there with a Sky Channel cameraman one day, and Ray wanted to show me the bantams, not the horses. <laughs> he loved them. Yeah, he <laughs> loved them. And, He'd get them out and fluff them up and put them on a pedestal like that. And <laughs> I used to think, oh, these blokes crackers. But, yeah, oh, no, no. He, I think it was his way of away from horses a bit. Yep. You know, he used to go all the shows and all that. That was his diversion. Now, you yeah. mentioned Brian Guy a moment ago. He's gone on to become a very successful trainer in his own right and learned the trade, obviously, from his dad and his uncle Max. Now, Brian tells me he actually rode track work at one stage. Can you confirm this claim? Oh, mate, um, I've never seen him ride track work, but no. he used to ride the pony from the – his stable was up the top that the uh, late Billy Evans used bought off him, um, up the yeah. top of the hill. At Prospect, the, Prospect Street. That's right. Yeah, mm. his stable's up there, and he used to ride this poor pony down. Mm. Poor thing. I used to feel sorry for it a bit, but <laughs> um, no, I've never known. They tell me he rode work back in the day, but I – wasn't while I was there. No. Yeah, so he was you, a you, and you never witnessed this phenomenon. No, <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> now, Ray wasn't the only Rose Hill trainer to put you on during those early days. You had three Sydney rides on Patrero for Doc Chapman for one easy win in a Rose Hill welter. Did he feel like a horse who would go on and win three Group Ones? Oh, he was just a – he was a good t- trainer too, um, Jeff, Dr. Chapman. He was a great trainer. Yeah, Petrero, mm. he's a beautiful horse. Yeah, he's, yeah, he won with his, his prick the first time I rode him and he mm. felt the goods and I rode him next start and I think it was Darren Biedman outside. I mean, I'm still in the pocket, you know, so mm. it brought me back to earth a bit. But, mm. yeah, he was a good horse, Petrero. He's a really talented horse. And, yeah, like you say, he went on to win three group ones and, yeah. you know, it's just – yeah, they're a different level. Probably the best horse you rode in a race. Probably, yeah, mm. yeah, um, yeah. That's probably about it. I, you know, I've never rode a Group One winner in Australia. I can't think. Silver Shadow Stakes. Mm. I think that was a Group Two. Yeah, uh, rode a Group One winner overseas, but no, nah, run a couple of placings in in Australia, but nothing. Mm. No. Nah. And w- where was the Group One winner? Singapore, Malaysia. Uh, it was Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. What race yeah. was that? Ah, uh, just a. I was, they don't really recognise it even in Australia because there was a Malaysian Group 1 mm. for a trainer over there, Evelyn Seat, her name was, Supreme Echo mm. was the name of the horse. And, yeah, but um, look, you know, I was, a, I was just a breadwinner. <laughs> I wasn't a oh, – look, I, I, you know, I love riding and everything and I still do, but I wasn't one of those jockeys that had a, aspirations to win the Melbourne Cup. It's no. probably what I lacked was a bit more aspiration in me and I mm. – and I was just happy to go out and ride winners and and pay the bills in a in a way. Mm. Just get you to stand by, Anth. Uh, we'll be back in a moment after this break. I want to talk about a listed race you won at Randwick one day on a mare that was uh, quoted at one hundred and forty-one dollars when the barriers opened. Back with Anthony Cavallo after this message. The team at Inglis are describing this year's Ready to Race catalogue as the best ever assembled. The sale is scheduled for Tuesday, October the 12th and will feature 185 two-year-olds by some of Australia's most in-demand stallions and some exciting new sires. Most importantly, 
these youngsters have been prepared by some of the most talented breeze-up experts in Australia and New Zealand. The English ready-to-race sale leads the way in the field of two-year-old auctions with more than 400 individual winning graduates since 2015 accumulating almost $60 million in prize money. This year's entries will breeze up in New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and New Zealand. High quality videos of each and every workout will be available on the English website within 48 hours of the gallop. At your leisure, you'll have the opportunity to assess tractability, action, attitude and potential ability. To order your hard copy of the Ready to Race catalogue, email catalogue at inglis.com.au or speak to one of the Inglis Bloodstock team on 9399 7999. I can still see you storming down the outside at Randwick to win the Reginald Allen Handicap of 1993 on a mare called Reign of Honour, $141. Mares can sometimes pull an astonishing run out of the hat, and that was by far and away her best career performance. Yeah, she was a, yeah, she's, she's a nice mare, Reign of Honour, trained by Wade Slinkard, mm. uh, owned by good people, Ross Daisley mm. and his wife. Um, yeah, yeah, she was a good mare. She like you say, chime down the outside. I think I just beat the thing of Mick Dimpton Road for Johnny Nichols. Um, oh, I can't remember the second yeah. horse, but he had the he had the cranks with me, Mick Dimpton. I can remember when we were back in the jockey's room because obviously he got beaten a nice race by 140 to one shot and he had the cranks. And I can remember Kevin Moses saying, Mick, pull your head in. The poor fella's just rode a winner and you, he doesn't ride as many as you and mm. you've got the, you know, you're giving yeah. him a hard time. Mick had an off day. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Wade Slinkard, recently retired from the training ranks, quite rightly gave Reign of Honour her opportunity at Group 1 level in the flight stakes. You were on board again, and although unplaced, you were only four lengths behind that great grey filly of Noel Mayfield-Smith's angst. Yeah, that's right. And angst won the, I think she went on to win that triple crown of mares races, didn't she? Um, the Princess Series. Princess series, yeah. Um, mm. Yeah, look, you know, like she was never far away, Reign of Honour, and, you know, uh, yeah, like I say, she was, she was a tough mare and Wade did a real good job with her. And now to the Group 3 you mentioned earlier that you won by default. This is a funny <laughs> old game, isn't it? When you left the enclosure on Spirited Way for the 1989 Silver Shadow Stakes, you thought at the very best you might run third and you'd need a bit of luck for that. <laughs> what happened? Right. That's, that's right. We're sitting in the barriers and hey, I'm on this thing of Robbie Johnson's Spirit Away and this was a time of the jockey strike. So I've got the got the ride on default as well from mm. through the jockey strike. So it was just apprentices only. And mm. beside me I had Tristan R and Joanne. Goodness me. Two of the best fillies mares that, that come out to, to shine after that. Yeah. And one went off in the barriers and the other one went off right beside me and I'm just sitting there and I'm thinking, wish he'd let him go now. Just yeah. let him go. But they're trying to get these poor horses out. They're gone off. So they were mm. late scratchings and and the rest was history. But, yeah, Joanne and Tristan are like one was Jack Denham's, the other one, Bar Cummings, and yeah. they went on to be top flight horses, you know, top of the range. Yeah. Oh, great mares. Joanne won 16 races in all. She didn't win a group one, though. Tristan no, no. won seven. 
and yep. two group ones. Look, un- in normal circumstances, spirited way, he wouldn't have kept up with them. No, no way, no way. I, you know, she might have run one or two races after that. She didn't go into any level of – it was just the, the what things happen and how it happens and, you know, mm. right place, right time. Yeah, she didn't race much after that, Chock. She may have had some problems spirited way. Yeah, she probably did. She might, you know, she might have, um, could have done. But yeah, he was mm. a good trainer too, Robbie Johnson, who trained that. Rod right. Hardwick used to ride it, but as mm. I said, they were they were striking for a, a pay rise, the jockeys at the time, and us mm. apprentices reaped the rewards. Mm. I was involved with the Warren Jockey Club in the nineteen nineties with the promotion of a restricted stayers race called the Golden Fleece, so named because that great country track at Warren is located close to some of the state's most famous merino studs. Now, the sheer size of the track prompted the creation of this new race over 2,400 metres, a very novel thing uh, to happen in the country areas, a race that starts in the straight uh, and they're twice past the winning post. Now, you picked up a late ride in the Golden Fleece in 1996. Do you recall that day? I do, mate. I do. I, I was on the plane with you, John. We flew, we, yeah, like you say, there was one suit. Uh, it was given up by Glenn Boss. Mm. The owners are probably going, oh, God, Acavello replacing G Boss. Like, you know, what's going on here? But <laughs> but no, Charlie rang me up and said, you know, I've got your suit on the plane. Glenn can't go. And I said, yeah, sweet, I'll come up. And, uh, yeah, it's it's the Golden Fleece. It was a fantastic meeting, you know, because you, you promoted it highly with um you organized the planes helen dalton she was on the plane too yeah. uh, nothing like a dame uh, yeah. fame and you know yeah. and it's just a great meeting and it, and it's a beautiful track you know like ranwick of the west they call it you know mm. but yeah it was you know i had to wait all day it was the second last race it's the only ride i had mm. and i thought oh, i was waiting all day and yeah you know, was and he worth just, it, uh, mate. He was the was only three-year-old in the field, Chock, and when you look at what he did later, is it any wonder he was so impressive in winning the Golden Fleece? Twelve days later, he ran fourth in the Queensland Derby, three lengths from the winner. That's it, mate. You know, even when I rode him, he come from well back and he won be three running away. You're like, really, realistically, anybody could have rode it and won on it. You know, it was just a press-button ride, but you still got to steer him a bit. Mm. But look, yeah, he was a, a beautiful horse too. Just, but I think he broke down after the Derby. Yes, he, that was his last run, I think. Yeah, yeah, he broke down in the Derby. Yeah. Mm. Now he was yeah, trained by Charlie Porter. You mentioned him earlier. Charlie's still going on a hobby basis, and you may have noticed he's won several races in the last few months with a horse called Mister Polar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice horse, uh, open class horse. Now I think it is Mister Polar, but he was a good horseman, Charlie. Yeah, he. Mm. You know, if he said they were finishing the first three, they always did. You know, he, yeah. You know, he didn't declare them, but he, you know, he'd sort of just say, "Yeah, you know, you, you knew how he spoke." He yes, said. yeah. And and he was and he was a good good trainer in his own right. He gave it mm. away for a while. I think his missus might have been crook, and then he came back. Yes. And, and potters around with a couple of them. Mm. The trophy for the Golden Fleece was very unique. It was a gold-plated merino ram. Mm. created each year by the well-known jeweller, Harry Millam. And that trophy, Chalk, has been a talking point for those owners who were lucky enough to win uh, in the very brief history of the race. It was was a great day, a novel event, 
and an incredible country racetrack. Oh, beautiful. It's, it's, it's such a waste out there, Warren. Uh, we race there probably three times a year now. Mm. Um, we're supposed to be there actually yesterday, but they got too much rain, 40 mil of rain sitting on the track. So, mm. yeah, it's just such a waste. But that race has fallen by the wayside too, the Golden Fleece. They still have it, but over a mile. Mm. You know, once um, things change and the, the promotions get out of it, and yeah. money changes and and country racing went through a tough time there for a while. So the race dropped away. They still run it, but over a mile and mm. just normal prize money. So it's not a that's not as grand as it used to be, that's for sure. If I can master the energy chock, we might resurrect it. <laughs> that's it, mate. All right, I'm I'm in. <laughs> Good boy. Now let's look at your years away from Australia. A total of seven altogether in Singapore and Malaysia and a couple of other places that we'll mention in a moment. Now, Singapore, Malaysia was a mecca for Australasian trainers in your time. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah it was a big punting area. Uh, prize money was probably on par with oh, less than our country now. Mm. So it was really all about the punt. So you sort of had to get your wits about you and, and you know, it's if you can last there and, and you can make a little bit of money, and and that's what we decided to do when I was married there, and married um, with Deb there, and mm. uh, we we decided to stick on a bit, and you know it was good, you know I wouldn't have made the money sitting at home that what I mm. that what, what we did there, and mm. went on to you know buy homes and whatever. Mm. And the the rival jockeys were not exactly easy beats, were they? There'd always be half a dozen really good riders in that part of the world. Oh, they came from everywhere. They came, mm. you know, France and, you know, it's just everywhere. So, yeah, it wasn't – even the local boys, they were they were great riders, you know. Simon who was a fantastic rider, the local lad there, and Azahar and, you know. So, no, it's never easy. You're in another person's – another cultured land and it's yeah. never easy, but if you can adapt, it's it's quite good. You had five months in Macau. Did you have a stable retainer there? No, freelance jockey. Um, mm. Mike Beattie was a steward at the time, thank God. Mm. Um, great fellow, Mike Beattie, and great mm. steward. So, yeah, I was there five months, and I didn't have a retainer, no. I was just freelancing, and I rode, I think, about a dozen winners or mm. 14 winners, something like that, and, mm. yeah, great times again, And but hard, hard place, you know, one little centre, and it, it was harder than all of them because, you know, the Chinese just had the jump on you there. Yeah. Now, this is the place I want to ask you about. You had six months in Abu Dhabi in the very early days of professional racing. Abu Dhabi is off the mainland and it's actually situated on an island in the Persian Gulf. How did that job come up? Yeah, look, it was me. It was Michael Johnson and Ricky Cartwright. We went over there and got off the job for something, oh, some fella, I, I can't even remember how I got it, but they just mm. rang me and, yeah, I said, yeah, I jumped on a plane and went over. I was just out of my apprenticeship, I think, not long after, a couple of years after. And, yeah. and um, yeah, I jumped on a plane. They flew me over first class and I thought, God, this is all right, you know. And, mm. and But it was hard to Abu Dhabi. That was only their second year of professional racing and, you know, you had Bahrainians there, you know, it was in the midst of the Q80 war, so we were only, mm. you know, an hour's flight from that too. But, I, you know, we went. I went over and it wasn't that lucrative or anything, but I had a good look around and 
experience and at, at their expense, and it was it was great. Yeah. I rode a couple of winners. I ended up training the horses and everything over there while I was there because the trainer mm. took off back to Bahrain, wherever he's from, and mm. you know I, I was left in charge with only half a dozen horses, but mm. you know it was good. You know, really enjoyed it, and you learn a lot from it. How did they get the horses over there by ferry? Yeah, look, no, they flew them over at the time. They were a lot they? from Australia and yeah. a lot from England, a lot from England, where the, the sheiks used to actually lease lease them from England and um, mm. and just race them there then send them back because we, th- we only raced over there probably six, seven months of the year because mm. it got too hot summer. Yeah, one meeting a week? <laughs> yeah, one meeting a week would be mm. – there's three tracks, Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and oh, I can't remember the, the other one, but it was mm. – had a massive rise in it. By the time the horses got to the top of the hill in this sump oil, it was just mm. a sump oil based track and they were just walked over the line, this one yeah. track. But but no, and, and it's gone ahead in leaps and bounds, obviously now Dubai and it was but it was only second year of professional racing back then. Mm, still pretty primitive. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yes, yes. You know, when you look at the number of races you've been around in over thirty five years, you've probably been Relatively lucky when it comes to injury, but there was one ripper I can bring to mind. You've got no recollection of this one at Wellington in the central west of New South Wales. You did a real job on yourself that day. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was out of my hands. Um, I got checked and down mm. it went. I haven't even watched the replay, actually, and just um, couldn't do much. And I wake up five hours later in Dubbo Hospital. Goodness me. And the injury list was impressive. Oh, ribs, broken jaw, yeah. shoulder. Oh, but I was back in three or four months, quite lucky. So mm. first winner, first ride back was a winner, so it bounced me back. Yeah, doesn't that make a difference? Yeah, sure does. Gaynor Williams is one of the best trainers in the West and she's also a strong Cavallo supporter. She put you on a cup winner the other day. You won the Forbes Cup on a horse called From the Bush, who'd won a tab highway at Randwick not long before. He's an awkward ride, isn't he? Yeah, big strong bugger. Um, not to say awkward, just strong. So mm. he bounced out. He's a free rolling type thing. So it kind of doesn't tie you down to instructions. And she just said, whatever you do, he doesn't sprint. So, mm. And we sat there, length off the leader, and worked into it from the 400, 500. And then, yeah, and he just kept rolling. He'd come out and run second in the... Narrowmine Cup after that, and yeah, yeah, just a nice horse, and yeah, she's a good trainer, Gainer and mm. Frank. Frank, they work together, but um, and they, I think their daughter, uh, their daughter there, I think her name's Liz. She's yeah. a very good horse person too. You know, just mm. just good trainers, good horse people. You've got a great rapport with Cody Nestor, a former very good jockey, and you say he may be an even better trainer. Now, you get to Dubbo regularly and you and Cody ride a lot of work together. You tell me he's a thinking trainer, always observing them, picking up their characteristics and changing the work accordingly. Always, always looking at him, looking down their legs, always looking at him. And mm. uh, and it's a great trait to have. He's, you know, he's just, he's out of a good horse family, breeding family. His parents are good horse people. His uncle Pete was a very, very good trainer too. Mm. And, yeah, he, he has them traits of, of his father and his uncle and just looking at the animal and, you know, and, and will change his mind what to do if he doesn't, if it looks a bit bigger than what he thinks or, 
you know, which is, is a good thing to have, you know. He's just always thinking and, you know, and he's not afraid to ask questions, you know, of the rider, what do you think, or, yep. you know, which is which is a good thing to have too, you know. So, mm. yeah, he can never stop learning and, and you know, he, yeah, I think he's a better trainer than what he is a rider, as good a rider as he was, but mm. I think he's, yeah, yeah. And, and he's, and it's panning out like that, the winners and the way he's going. So, yeah, you know, hopefully we can keep combining. It must be nice to slip down to your old stamping ground every now and again, as you did when you won on Absolute Ripper last year at Warwick Farm. It was Alison Smith's first city winner as a trainer, and you were delighted to be a part of it. Oh, she, yeah, she's. We've had a a, a long relationship too, Alison and husband um, Nathan. We just um, we just uh, just get on and. You know, but we went down to Warwick Farm this time, which I, I won about five or six on this mare. We just had a good mm. rapport too. Mm. And, yeah, and she prepared the horse great for the day, and well, as she always does. She had a – you know, she was – loved that horse to death and she really looked after her. She's gone to stud now. But, um, yeah, we went down there and she won her first race there. She was all emotional at Warwick Farm, which, you know, <laughs> it's just, just good to be part of. It's great. Yeah. Great for her. Let's look at your two tab highway wins. The first of them on a horse called About Time for a Gunnadar trainer, Gavin Growth at Rose Hill. Yeah, Gav, good trainer. I went on at a start before. I went and opened the start before at, at Gunnadar. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a class two horse or something. And I went down there a big price, drew off the track. I think I drew 14 out of 14 or something. Mm-hmm. But we bounced to the lead and away we went. And, you know, given a break mid race and they couldn't peg us back. I think we only won be about ahead, but. Yeah, he was a nice horse and hard horse to ride too. He was a bugger, but mm-hmm. but um, yeah, he proved good on that day and and uh, away we went. And yeah, it was good for Gav too. He's just a battling trainer out the bush, and he was he was very pleased that day. Obviously, you would yeah. be if you trained a city winner, but yeah, yeah. This is yeah, the really great good. this is the great thing about the whole concept. These tab highways they've they've given people opportunities and the opportunity to achieve at a level they couldn't have dreamed about. That's right. That's right. And it's only gone forward too. It's been, it's, it's you know, they leave it at class twos and threes, which is fantastic and it just, yeah, keeps mm. it all limited. And, yeah, you can go there as, even as a bush jockey and have a chance in a race. Yep. Your second tab highway win was for Cody Nestor at Randwick last year on Toulon Brook. Uh, Toulon Brook. Sorry, John, I think it was about two or three years ago. This is horse, it? Um, oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's flown since then. Um, mm. Yeah, Toulon Brook, he's, yeah, got through, had a nice run through the on the fence at, on the Kensington track and mm. snuck through and he won and, you know, won a couple more on him and he's still bouncing around Toulon. But, mm. yeah, it was good for Cody. He was all, you know, revved up and all, all excited and emotional too and, yeah, yeah. I think it, it was early times for Codes when he was kicking off, so it was a great, uh, it was a great mm. thing for it. Very timely. Now you yeah. concentrate mainly on the Central West, but you sneak to places like Tamworth and Gunnedah from time to time. Yeah, that's right, mate. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd go time to time, but if you get uh, enough rides and things, and if I, you know, go for someone, but yeah, look, you know, we race around here two or three times a week, and. It's probably enough for me. You know? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, mm. you know, it's, you know, when you start travelling, as I said to a few of the lads, when you start travelling for one or two and it's a four-hour trip, 
it's it's probably not worth your while unless it's for your boss or for your your connections or what. But it's mm. just to go and make numbers up on one or two races. It's it it it's very draining and it's it's probably not worth your while to wear and tear on yourself and you know. But a lot mm. of jockey seaters trying to promote themselves and things, and I understand that at a young age. But mm. but one or two rides, it's very draining. Wearing you know wear and tear on yourself and your car. You're the envy of many of your contemporaries because you're a true blue natural lightweight. It's been the single biggest contributor to your long career. Oh, mate, I couldn't do what a lot of these boys do. I couldn't, you know, not eat for a day or two or not have breakfast or lose two kilos the morning of the race. And No, I couldn't do it. I, Yeah, I... I shake my head at how they do it, but yeah, I'm lucky enough. I don't have to do it. I have breakfast every time before I go to the races, and mm. you know, and, and you just feel. I'm sure it feels better than losing two kilos. That's for sure. Oh, Chuck, and you, you're strong. You don't have the dehydration problem. It, it's just a different world. Oh, look, at 100. percent You know, and you see, and you understand why these boys get angry at times. You know, and it's you know, you're that hungry in your body yourself and dehydrated, as you say. Mm. But, uh, yeah, take me hat off to him. I wouldn't do it. No way. It's been a long and happy ride, mate, and in your current frame of mind, it's going to get longer because the word <laughs> retirement is not in your vocabulary. <laughs> no, not yet, not yet. You know, you probably put me down as semi-retired as I, you know, move <laughs> out to the bush and ride a couple of times a week or whatever, and, yeah. you know, but, um, no, I'm enjoying it, mate. There's no plans of retirement just yet because... Yeah, you know, I can. They keep putting the jockeys, jockeys uh, fees up. So you know, every time they put them up, I've got to stick on for another year or two. <laughs> Good on you. You're a country <laughs> gentleman in this uh, era. Well, it, oh, it, it's always a great pleasure to welcome a country participant to the podcast. But it's been a special pleasure to talk to a bloke I've known for a long, long time, and he seems to have been around forever. He's 52. <laughs> he's strong. He's fit. He's light, and nobody enjoys riding a winner more than Anthony Choco Cavallo. It's been great to have you on the podcast, Choc, on a Sunday morning. Thanks for your time. Real pleasure, mate. Thank you. And this podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com, or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.